Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports with interesting executives and investors and athletes and students and personalities all around the sports business. And we do that every week with, of course, none other than Joe Favorito, my trusty partner. Welcome, Joe. The non-interesting people. That's us. No, well, we've been doing a pretty good job, I think, of getting some interesting folks today. We're going to continue that tradition for this momentous occasion. Triple digits. Triple digits. This is our 100th podcast. Michael Jordan hit double nickels at All-Star Weekend, and here we are at... Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's kind of amazing that we've gotten this far, but um, it's been a lot of fun. Pleasure doing it with you along the way. And for those of you who have been listening, you know that we've actually been talking about this 100th podcast and how we would try to do something special for it. So we think we're going to deliver on that promise today because we've got a really great guest. Someone Joe and I have had the pleasure of knowing for, um, a, few years. for, for a few years, I was going to say two decades, uh, roughly, uh, and someone who's had one of the most interesting career paths in the sports business that, that we know, um, and he's really at the center of the business today, particularly on the media side. And we're talking about Jeff Reese. Welcome, Jeff. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, congratulations on a hundred. I'm 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 blown away. Thank you, thank you. And so, and, so are the three people listening. But that's okay. <laughs> um, we've been wanting to talk to you for a while because mm-hmm. you are in one of the most interesting positions in the business right now, as the relatively new general manager of Yahoo Sports and mm-hmm. a sense Oath Sports. Uh, and for those of you who may not know, Oath, of course, is the company that is part of Verizon that is essentially a house of brands that includes in the sports realm, Yahoo and AOL, two major players through the history of sports and one that I, that, that I can relate to having been at AOL when it was a bigger individual sports brand. Um, but Jeff, that's an amazing uh, spot right now because you guys are at the center of the storm with streaming deals and fantasy sports and content uh, monetization, all the things that are front and center right now in our industry. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, let's start, however, with the Jeff Reese story. Um, Joe and I met you when you were, like us, a little bit younger, uh, just getting into the digital business at Starwave, but I know there's a couple years before that too. So uh, let everybody know how you kind of got where you are and what your career journey was. Sure. Um, I mean, basically my first job in media was working as an office manager at a place called Spy Magazine. And Spy was a precursor to John Stewart or Stephen Colbert in terms of this very um, eclectic mix of high and lowbrow humor um, tied to, to current events. And, and, you know, I got in there just, just through a dumb, ugly, cold letter. Um, I started basically scamming copies of, the, of uh, the magazine at an ad agency I was working, sent them a cold letter. Um, the three founders of Spy, Graydon Carter, uh, Kurt Anderson, and Tom Phillips, uh, were still at a stage of that business where a cold letter from somebody who wanted to go work there was, was a big enough deal right. that I actually got an right. interview. Um, and I got offered a position. And, you know, within three months of my getting the spy, we had gained an enormous amount of notoriety, an enormous amount of heat in the marketplace. And we were probably getting 30 or 40 of those letters a week um, from people who are far more smart, uh, far smarter and more experienced than I was. And, and since I was office manager, I made sure that the three partners didn't see any of them. Um, so I was able to kind of smart. There's a lesson learned for everybody listening. Absolutely. Um, And, 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 and spy was amazing because I mean, for a relatively small publication, we had an outsized amount of influence on the conversation, both in New York. I mean, spy was where 
Donald Trump was first uh, first called the short-fingered Bulgarian. I mean, he was one of our primary characters, even <laughs> right. going back to, to the mid-1980s, um, but also increasingly in Washington and Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, uh, as SPY started uh, to, to run its course, the partners split and went in different directions. And Tom Phillips got uh, a job out at Starway. They Paul Allen backed a uh, digital media startup. Um, this is 1993. And Paul had this, this vision, right, that basically said the way that people and personal technology were going to intersect was going to dramatically change in the coming years. And that the, the two driving criteria of that change was going to be a rapid increase in the availability of bandwidth to the home and the fact that going forward, computers were going to be networked together. Um, if you had a computer in your home in 1993, there is about a one to half a percent chance that it was actually connected to anything else. Mm -hmm. There was a 99.5% chance it was plugged into the wall like a toaster oven. Right. And if you needed to move information from that, you put it on a diskette and you use what we used to call the sneaker net, right? And you'd walk mm -hmm. into someplace else and say, here's a file. Right. And Paul had this notion that that was going to change. He invested in a company and said, go figure out what that means. So the company went off in a bunch of different directions, news and information, um, crazy CD-ROMs that we produce with That's people right. like Clint Eastwood yeah. and Peter Gabriel and whatnot. And I got lucky enough to to have an opportunity to drive sports. And, and the, it was the company called Starwave? It was, it was yeah. called Starwave. Okay. And, you know, if you go back to 1993, you have to remember that, you know, solving sports basically meant building a slightly better, not a slightly better, but a significantly better newspaper, right? right? Two-thirds of the country woke up in the morning, um, you know, with a newspaper that didn't have complete results from the previous mm -hmm. evening. And, you know, it, it, it's funny because not long ago, I actually found the first strategic paper I wrote for these guys in the winter of 1993. And it's actually pretty good, right? It, it talked about just real-time scores, but also fantasy, community. Um, we didn't imagine things like highlights, but, you know, it was, it was the most extraordinary opportunity mm -hmm. um, that anybody ever could have had. That's great. Um, and then were you looking at what Prodigy and CompuServe were doing? Because I guess they were the first ones of that 1% to actually deliver sports and news and weather we to, were, a, to a connected audience, we albeit were, a small yeah, one. We were yeah. looking at what they were doing, but we were also, you know, we were also of the mind that as walled gardens, they had a really kind of limited palette in terms of what you could really do in their publishing environment. Um, so there were a couple of things we liked about them. There were a couple of things they were nervous about. I mean, from the get-go, um, we believe that it was important to create dual revenue streams out of this business, right? That advertising wasn't going to be enough. And in fact, mm -hmm. out of Starwave came the first version of ESPN.com, uh, something called ESPNNetSportsZone.com, which is a mouthful. David Stern loved to, to give us a hard time of that branding. There were a bunch of reasons behind that branding. But, you know, within um, six months of ESPN's launch, in, uh, on April 1st, 1995, we had our first premium product, ESPN Insider, lined up so that we could start to kind of, of, of diversify our revenue streams and be able to give those fans who, who wanted a little bit more um, a premium experience. Right. Now, looking back on it, that was probably the first premium product in sports digital media. I, I'm pretty sure it was. I mean, yeah. we were neck and neck. I, the Wall Street Journal may have been out a few weeks ahead right. of us in terms of their premium product, but it was... You know, we were we were absolutely you know we were absolutely at the at the cusp of, wow. of doing stuff like that. All right, so it so it morphed into ESPN uh, as a as a Disney, as a ESPN property, right? 
So yeah, we, yeah. Wave, so what was that transition? Well, we with did Star we did wave? a bunch of things, right? Yeah. We were doing ESPN, but at the time, because Starwave had a licensing deal with Disney, um, we also, or actually with with ESPN, and then Disney subsequently bought ESPN that first right. summer we were in business. Um, we also had direct relationships with the National Basketball Association, mm-hmm. the National Football League, and NASCAR, and we actually produced the first generation of all their sites. So NBA.com, NASCAR right. Online, and NFL.com right. came out okay. of there. So the trickiest thing about that time was that um, there wasn't really any um, any third-party solutions available to any of the core publishing things that you wanted to do. So we were simultaneously building consumer-facing products. So you know, fantasy games or scoreboards or 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 you know, real-time app I mean, apps, but products to watch games and, and 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 with with graphical displays and stuff. But we were also building CMSs and mm-hmm. ad servers and commerce engines and authentication engines and and you know, so it was it was it was a crazy time. Yeah, like the infrastructure of the business exactly. enabled exactly. everything else to grow. Exactly. Yeah. And <clears throat> Disney subsequently bought the company um, right. in part because they wanted that infrastructure, and right. there are you know elements of that infrastructure that 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 continue to kind of chug along in different corners of uh, of Disney. So, what was next for you after that? I stayed I stayed with the company um, through that acquisition. Um, stayed on with ESPN.com through about two thousand three. Um, at which point, uh, John Skipper asked me to actually go back to print um, and run ESPN the magazine. And, it, you know, it was funny. It was something I wasn't told. I, I loved ESPN the magazine. I wasn't necessarily interested in going back to print. But what I was hearing in the marketplace all the time was, you're, you know, you've got demonstrated chops as a, as a, as a product guy. Um, but you've never run a big fat PL before. Mm-hmm. So ESPN the magazine gave me an opportunity to run um, you know, a, a, a PL that was well over $100 million. Um, and it was the, the, the best part about running the ESPN the magazine was that I had two partners there um, in Chris Collins, our publisher, and Gary Honig, our editor in chief, who weren't close to wanting to just kind of sit and rest on what they'd been able to do since they'd launched. The magazine had launched five years prior to my getting there, and they were both really hungry to, to see that magazine continue to evolve and continue to grow. And, you know, we were very fortunate that, you know, we were operating at a time where I think the magazine won um, won two awards for general excellence from ASME, um, which was a really big deal. We were beating titles like Vanity Fair, which was run by my ex-boss, Graydon Carter, and we were setting revenue records. And, and it really drove home the notion that um, achieving your business goals and achieving your goals in terms of serving your audience are, are not mutually exclusive. In fact, you know, one contributes to the other. Um, if you do an amazing job for your readership, um, it makes a stronger mm-hmm. product for your ad sales team mm-hmm. to take out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're bringing the ad dollars in and beating your budget, it allows you to invest to a greater degree in the product than you might have otherwise. Right. So, um, and when did you finally leave ESPN? Um, I hung around a couple more years, ran licensing there, did a, help them with a, with a big deal with Electronic Arts. Um, mm-hmm. That was a, a whole nother, when we, have a, when we have an MBA podcast, we can get okay. into that deal because it was mm-hmm. an amazing um, experience. Did uh, spent a little over a year in original entertainment, um, helped them really lean into the documentary space. So okay. my biggest project there was developing Black Magic with Dan Clores, um, mm-hmm. which did incredibly well, won a, a Peabody Award uh, for the network. At the time, it was the highest rated doc that ESPN had ever run. Um, and then, you know, basically got the sense yeah I, I was not thrilled with the fact that i was moving further away from digital right um and in fact as i talked to people outside the industry even though i'd been out of it for maybe three years 
this is like you're not a digital guy right so it's like this is nuts yeah. i i um you know, I, I need to go find yeah, something. It was kind of catching on a little bit by that point. <laughs> it, it was, it, it was, it, yeah, yeah, it was catching on. And, and you know, listen, the, the best the best thing about this category, and this is just as true in 2018 as it was in 2007 as it was in 1993, is that, you know, folks have a predisposition to try to label whatever the moment in time we are in as kind of being the new order of things. This is the way it is going to work. And and the, the kind of the neat thing about having done this for a while is you gain the appreciation that this is a space that is in constant reinvention. Yeah. And just because we feel like, you know, we want to, our brains kind of want to tell ourselves, yeah. okay, this is it. This is the way it's going to work. These guys have this market share. These guys play this role. But it is a, it is a space that allows for a constant level of disruption. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, what, that's what makes what I'm doing right now so much fun. Because, right. you know, the, the fact is there there is so much transparency in terms of the products to, to fans that they can they can see when somebody's doing a great job and you yeah. can change the order of things. But you did have a couple of stops post ESPN. I had a bunch oh, of stops. So just just I, talk about I, that briefly and then I, we want to get into the oath discussion. Yeah, no, I did I did a bunch of different things, some for the right reasons, some for the wrong reasons. Right. Um, you know, I I spent time running a small professional sports league, the Professional Bowlers That's Association, right. mm -hmm. and I and, and flat out um, anybody who ever has loved sports should have an opportunity to run a league at some point or another because it is an amazing experience. Um, I, I was at Twitter for a while. I was at Newsweek for a while. And I think the most interesting thing about that, and this is something that, that we can touch on later as we talk to folks who are thinking about their own careers, is it is painful, but it is an enormously healthy experience that I think you guys have experienced mm -hmm. in, your, in your career. Yep. Mm -hmm. When you go from someplace where your phone calls will get returned automatically to ones where you have to hustle. <laughs> right. We were just yeah. having this conversation this morning. As yeah. a matter of fact, yeah. so no, it's a good else. point. And also, look, you, you were, um, and I mean this in a positive sense, opportunistic, uh, you know, as you said, with this disruption that was essentially constant, these opportunities presented themselves and you went after these opportunities. And as we all have learned, some work out and some don't work out. Along those lines, um, you were able to see things or be at the, at the beginning of a lot of, call them startups. Mm -hmm. um, are there one or two that stand out when you said, man, when we looked at this, we knew this was going to work? And then the other side of it is there one or two that you said, man, I thought this was going to be great and it was no-cal pizza and you know, oil wells in Vermont. Um, it's, a, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, going back, um, going back even as to, to, to Starwave days, um, you know, I don't know if you guys remember Quokka. Sure, oh, we right? we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Quokka. Yes, and how right? much money because, they would spend on their yeah, industry man. parties. Yeah, well, yeah. not just their industry parties, right? But <laughs> there was this there was this company called Quokka, and yeah. Quokka was going to um, Quokka was going to bring really cool presentation to the way we watched undernourished sports. And I think they started out with like sailboat racing. Mm -hmm. um, they made a big deal around America. The Whitbread around the world The Whitbread, exactly. That's, exactly. Uh, so. good, good point, Joe. Sports Jeopardy winner, Joe. <laughs> really? So I, I think what was really interesting was, you know, at the time, it begged a question, right, to say, do new forms of distribution do they allow for sports that have struggled for attention to get a map and get their just due? And, and will it allow them to break through? And I genuinely, I can't tell you that I was some prescient guy who knew the answer, but what was quickly evident was that 
new forms of expression, new forms of distribution actually were going to calcify the gap between super enormous, super popular sports and the guys who are struggling. Mm-hmm. That you're not going to be able to add you know, some whiz-bang feature and suddenly take something out of being a super niche thing into, and, into making it the mainstream. Mm-hmm. In fact, that those, those attributes were going to take sports like the NBA and help propel them to into, into, into being even stronger players mm-hmm. um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the pecking order than not. So, you know, I think stuff like that um, is, is, you know, when I, when I think mm-hmm. of the things you looked at and you're like, this doesn't feel right to spend all this money on sailboat racing. And it turns out it probably wasn't. Well, it also parallels a, um, an issue that we talk, we've talked a lot about as a, a disruptive force over these last two decades, which is the incredible growth of user-generated content. So content coming from sources that we, back in the 90s, didn't think of as being adversaries mm-hmm. in the content development space. And this is the thing, Jeff, while you were at ESPN, while I was at AOL um, and at um, uh, hockey and stuff like that, we didn't see it coming, right, as, as, as strong a force that turned out to be. So when YouTube was launched in, I think, 2005, I believe, roughly, sure. uh, the idea of user-generated video, we were scoffing at it in most of these prof- in most of these professional environments because we were all thinking that professionally produced content was what the audience, at least in sports, would want. And then once we had YouTube uh, develop- evolving, and then of course Facebook, which was launched right around that time, two thousand four, suddenly we realized, wow, there's a lot of content coming from actual users, actual fans in these different forms. And then over the next ten years, it, it it has been proven to be the single most disruptive force in content, and it continues today. So at what point did you start kind of dealing with that professionally as a dynamic that you had to address in some of the jobs? I mean, it was something we tried to accommodate into the very first version of of ESPN.com because we believed it to be important. Um, In the form of like commenting and things like that? Commenting and chat groups and stuff like that. And and it was interesting because one of the first chat groups we, we, we created, I forget what sport it was, it turns out, you know, we climbed into it and found out it had been taken over by a bunch of Midwestern women who wanted to talk about something completely else, but they just liked having a room to be able to hang out and talk to each other. Um, you know, I think I think that that you know when you speak of the the traditional media entities kind of being slow to see this, it's it's in part because you know we have a predisposition to arrogance that says if we don't create it, if we don't bless it, it, it well that was definitely the feeling in the industry. I it would isn't say, yeah. a value, right? right. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a you know that's a that's a challenge we have to kind of deal with with all the time. Right. And I think there are, are a number of ways of channeling. You know, when 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 we talk about Yahoo Sports right now. We, we, we speak in terms of, of really predicating the product off of three key pillars, right? We, we have to have this tremendous amount of utility, and that's about, you know, creating the shortest distance we can between fans and the content that they love most and, and being able to remove as much friction in the process between them and, and what they came to see. Um, we talk about really needing authentically voiced content, and, and for us, authentic voice means a couple things. It means doing a better job of getting athlete voice at scale into the product, but it means doing a better job of finding ways of getting some degree of fan perspective in, in a way that, that, that scales. And we talk about it needing to be fun. You know, this is the category that, that people turn to to get away from the White House, to get away from climate debates. And, and it isn't to say that stuff isn't important, and it isn't to say that, that, that I don't believe 
you know, that I don't believe that athletes have a voice in these, in these, in these issues, because I really think they do. But it simply means that, that by and large, the category is an escape. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, I think our biggest competitor is somebody who I think of as having kind of reverted to being sports church. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily being a place where where the the, the category can kind of live, mm-hmm. so part of that means how do you how do you take fan voice in? And I think there are a bunch of different ways between having them be part of the conversation and 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 looking differently at at what you consider to be a qualified contributor, and even to the point where you know I think we even start to experiment with some of the prevailing pronouns. Well, what does that mean? It means that if you and I are both fans of the same team. We speak of them as us and we, mm-hmm. and not necessarily trying to always be that hard, you know, that 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 cold, impassioned journalist, right? We have a terrific um, basketball correspondent, Chris Mannix, right? And if you know Chris, mm-hmm. he grew up in Boston Garden. He was a ball boy for the Celtics. So my, you know, when I talk to Chris about the Celtics, it's like, dude, don't try to 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 pretend to be you know, impartial about these guys. This is your team. It's okay for you to kind of lean into these guys differently than right. you might otherwise, right. because that's how you connect. And by the way, that's that's what put guys like Simmons on the map. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, that that notion of I'm not going to try to hide these allegiances. No, it's a really, that's a really interesting point. And it's almost like, as you're t- t- describing that, Jeff, it's reminding me kind of um, one way to think of it, maybe. It's kind of like the sports version of new journalism, mm-hmm. like actually acknowledging a somewhat biased viewpoint, a somewhat um, subjective viewpoint, which as long as that's understood transparently with the readership or the viewership, it's kind of okay. So going back to, you know, like Hunter S. Thompson and the, you know, I mean, like and a it's different a kind of, of way listen, of reporting let's, let's, sports. Let's, let's be honest. It's a heck of a lot. It's a, it's a heck of a lot safer in sports than it is in politics. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Because, because in politics, I do believe that there is a fundamental responsibility to reveal a bias if that's in fact what you right. have. I don't think we are endangering the future of the, few, of the, of the free world if, um, if we let some, some Celtic bias or Nick bias or, or, or Cardinals bias creep its way into a piece of content. So uh, utility, authentic voice, and fun. How does news factor into that? And does news factor into the vision that you have now in terms of breaking news? Sure does. And, 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 that, and that fits into that notion of utility, right? How do I, how do I get you up to speed on, on what you need to know about as quickly as possible? Now, news is an interesting thing, right? Because just in our careers, the value of news has changed really differently. Um, there was a horrible, horrible shooting last week in Florida. Okay, who broke the story? Twitter. I don't, I, I, I don't know. The I fact is, none of us know, yeah. right? As mm-hmm. as big a story as we've had in 2018, nobody knows. That's a great question. Yeah. Um, and and for a long time, right, the notion of breaking a story, you know, the the post is in is in theaters right, right. now, right? They own the Pentagon mm-hmm. Papers story for mm-hmm. for the when the when the Times got got kicked out of it. You know, there was a big deal in in in, in traditional journalistic you know circles about breaking stuff. Right now. Fans give credit for that break to whoever told them about it first, right? So whoever had the best push notification gets credit for breaking right. yep. the story. But the fact is, what really matters, right, is, is what we call the second conversation. So there were a bunch of breaks that came out of the trade deadline a couple of weeks ago around the deals that Cleveland made, mm-hmm. okay? But, but owning that break is a fairly de minimis value. What matters to me most 
is what's the conversation in the NBA right now amongst GMs, amongst coaches, amongst agents, amongst players, right? Is did Cleveland do enough? Can they get through Boston? Is this enough to make LeBron want to hang around, right? And having, you know, I, I do think you can own bigger chunks of that second conversation than you can that break. Yeah. So um, it's ironic, not ironic, but it's interesting that you say that given that the news cycles for CNN or Fox is to be fast and first and worry about the facts afterwards. So how much of that secondary conversation, which takes place over time versus the immediacy of right this second, I have to tweet this out. How does that factor into how you control a conversation from your perspective? Well, first of all, I, I give up the idea of controlling a conversation okay. because because you're going to set a conversation in motion. But but, you know. I, I start with a, with a predisposition, right, that says creating an original piece of content anywhere, but, but let's, let's make the conversation about sports. Creating an original piece of digital sports content is an act of arrogance, right? Hmm. Because you're creating it based on this notion that our fan is feeling fundamentally underserved and that their biggest problem is there just isn't enough for them to look at out there. Mm-hmm. And we all know that's not true, right. right? So what it means is you need to be able to satisfy one of three criteria, hopefully more than one, in order to create original content, right? You have to tell somebody something they didn't know. So this GM says this team overpaid for somebody. We had them slotted at, at X. Okay, you've now told me something I didn't know. You have to bring a voice or perspective into the conversation that I've been lacking. So what does that mean? It means... Um, you know, let me put you in the mindset of a GM that was making those deals. Or let me put you in the mindset of here's what's going, here's what the Players Association is thinking about and talking about, given the fact that there's still over 100 unsigned guys out there right now. Here's their perspective. Or you need to be able to bring a voice into the conversation. And, and a voice is a, is a, is a way of, 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 you know, Pat Forty has a voice at Yahoo. Bill Simmons has a voice at, at, at The Ringer. And, and if you think about the folks who you enjoy listening to or reading or watching the most, right, are all some combination of those three things, right? I, I you know, Pete Thamel, who, who does an amazing job in college football right now, tells you things you don't know and brings perspective from primarily from coaches, but also from athletes that you might not have had before. Um, there are other guys who are all voice, you know, and, and that's OK because they get a, they get away with that. So we're, you know, what we're looking to do is kind of identifying what is our way into a conversation, right? Is, are we telling you something you didn't know before? Are we bringing you perspective through reporting you didn't have? Or are we doing it in a, in a, in a, in a voice that's missing? And if you can't answer those three things, it's, it's wire copy. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Jeff, you, you mentioned the importance of engaging fans for their perspective and athletes themselves. Um, what, what is, what's the actual activation of the, of the athlete inclusion? How do they how do they work with you? It can work a couple of different ways. I mean, we have a we have a deal in place, for example, with Russell Wilson, who's on the oath board of advisors. He has a nascent company called Trace Me. And, you know, Russell is of the mind that um, that athletes and celebrities, for that matter, writ large, have created a disproportionate amount of value for the social networks and aren't capturing enough of that value for themselves. Mm. So he's he's built a subscription product that will allow he and the folks he's working with to create a modest subscription fee to stay connected with those athletes. So we have a deal with him that some of that content is flowing into Yahoo Sports, um, and we will help you know create a, a a path to folks who want more of that through subscription means. Okay. In other cases, it may mean 
um, you know, working with an athlete, um, Vernon Davis, for example, is helping us out with the Olympics right now. And, and you know, I, we, the, the, the underlying premise here is, is less about getting folks to talk about, yep, to had two glasses of orange juice and did 100 push-ups today. It's to say I, I had an opportunity to meet with the with oath board of advisors that included people like Serena Williams and Russell Wilson and Joey Logano and Abby Wambach um, the day after the Super Bowl. And what I was trying to get out of these guys was they watch as winning world championships and gold medals and Daytona 500s. They watch that event differently than you and I do. Right. No matter no matter what, they have a perspective watching that event. How do I get, you know, not just them to relate their first person experiences within their own sports, but more importantly, how do I get them to talk a little bit about how they watch sports? So two things which will translation us into explaining what Oath is, which we haven't really done yet. Um, how did you select the people on the board and what did they do? If you can talk about that. And then walk us through what Oath is, Tom, because we haven't really Yeah, and I want to make sure we so, cover two yep. really important parts of your agenda, which have gotten a lot of notoriety in uh, recent months, and that is fantasy gaming and streaming. Yep. Uh, so let's uh, let's start yeah. with the first so the question board, about the board. And then, yeah. and well, I, I didn't select the board. The okay. board, the board, the they board was you. ultimately selected by by Tim Armstrong and okay. his and his team, and it was designed to put together a group of people who can really help help guide us spiritually, can help uh, inspire us, and 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 really just make sure that the that that the company is on track in terms of realizing its full potential. Okay. Um, and it's a you know it's a it's a an amazing room to walk into. It was a, an unbelievable privilege. And, the, and that's for Oath overall that is for, or Oath that is for, Sports? That, no, that is for okay. Oath, Oath, oh. Oath writ large. Oh, okay. that's quite that. interesting. No, there, there, are other, there, that, other, yeah. there are other non-sports folks on, on, yeah. on, on that. But still, that's very interesting. Got to look that up at some point. We don't want to have a perspective. Yeah. Um, tell us, what, explain Oath and what the elevator pitch is for people who probably don't know of all the pieces that are involved where it is now and, and where you hope to take it. Yeah, I mean, Oath is, Oath, is, Oath is not a consumer-facing brand, right? Oath is, is, is basically the company name where, where these amazing assets that AOL and Yahoo had um, basically came to live. And it's a, it's a combination of, of brands across um, you know, the, the, the key categories that we're investing in across news, sports, and finance. So it's a place where HuffPo and, 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 and Yahoo Sports and Yahoo Finance live. It is a place where, you know, a mind-numbing number of people um, come and, and communicate every day through email platforms at Yahoo and, and, mm-hmm. and, and AOL. And it's a home of some of the most advanced ad tech in the world. Um, and, and so, you know, the idea basically is in combination to be able to create these tremendous content plays, mapping specifically to content categories that evoke the most passion in our daily lives um, with this unbelievably powerful platform. Um, and be able to provide, you know, utility to both our consumers and our ad partners mm-hmm. and to provide a, a meaningful at scale competitor um, to, to way larger companies. All under the umbrella of one of the largest telecommunications companies exactly in the right. world. So, so talk about it because yeah. we've heard Tim Armstrong speak many times about the importance of mobile for the oath agenda writ large. So um, I you guys are an example that, especially with some of these deals, and it's a good transition to fantasy and streaming. Sure. Because I know these are key, you know, the, the mobile access, the mobile first attitude that, that seems to be apparent right now uh, is a big driver. Well, I mean, I mean, when we when we come to work every day at Yahoo Sports, right, we are we are literally thinking in terms of how do we how do we make sports fans phones the fir- their first screen for sports? Right. And what does it mean to be that that first that first screen that they that they look at? So, you know, that means that 
Um, and we've been very fortunate to, to, to be the beneficiary of some fairly large, fairly large corporate deals we've done with the National Football League and the NBA. So, you know, we, we ran kind of a, what I would call a beta version of live NFL football from the divisional playoffs through the Super Bowl this year. And, you know, the initial, uh, you know, fans' initial receptivity to that couldn't have been stronger. It drove over a million app downloads in a three-week period. Um, we, we offered fans a, an incredible experience just in terms of the quality of, of the overall uh, viewing experience. And starting in, in the fall, we'll basically be the home of local football. So whatever games would be would be on television in your local market will be available um, on, on, on your phone through Yahoo Sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, likewise, we have a, a, a fairly significant deal with the NBA that will drive a large number of out-of-market games um, onto your phone. And, and, and we'll look to work with them to, to use those as a means of, of moving fans deeper into things like NBA League Pass. And for just to clarify something, for fans listening... That's as simple as getting the Yahoo Sports That's app. That's as simple as downloading the Yahoo Sports app. Right. Um, and, and again, the, the, the key there is when I spoke before about utility and frictionless, mm-hmm. right? We, we want instant sports. Right. We want you to be so in the app. So download app, and you're, press and you're, play, and you're absolutely, in. Absolutely. Right. And, you're, and, you're, and you're watching sports. Yeah. And the idea is to combine that with the original video that we can create. Um, you know, 2017 was a huge year for us in terms of the migration to mobile. And in 2016, about 10% of the original video content we produced was was consumed on mobile devices. Last year, that was closer to 76%. Wow. So, you know, there was a, a real emphasis in terms of optimizing optimizing that content for mobile, producing it with with with, with mobile consumption in mind. Um, and we, you know, we turned a, a, a significant corner. And is that extending now to connected TV as well and smart TV? Yes and no. I mean, right. the, the, the the rights relationships we have all have different permutations in terms of what we're allowed to cast and what we aren't allowed to cast. So, you know, our primary thinking right now is around creating a great experience on the phone. Mm-hmm. And there'll be some instances where folks can 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 cast in other cases they can't. Right. Likewise, you know, we are in the midst of, of, of trying to develop a number of kind of new kind of viewing experiences that allows for more social and shared viewing. And, and again, those will be driven by a combination of, of our you know, technological prowess and the extent to which we can get broader uh, rights grants. So, so Jeff, can you just comment, uh, address fantasy sports and start with just a comment on your assessment of the state of fantasy sports and where do you think it's going to go, where you think it's going in 2018? Um, I mean, fantasy is something that has been incredibly important for me from day one. I mean, if right. you read the first strategic document I prepared for Starwave uh, literally 25 years ago, you will see that fantasy was a, was a fundamental pillar. Because you we were an were, old rotisserie baseball player, I, were you? I, I and a couple old, of those guys you work with, I think yeah, exactly. Spy. I actually tried to buy the, the rotisserie brand from Glenn Wagner and Steve Wolf when I worked for Paul Allen, and I couldn't get them. That was a trademark name, Rotisserie? Rotisserie was, okay. a, was a trademark name. I, I tried to buy it, it because, okay. because fantasy evokes something more lewd at the time, um, but, but it, is, it has become kind of a mainstream handle. Um, so, and you I were mean, early on at ESPN, obviously. Oh yeah, no, we, yeah. we were. You know, uh, I mean, I was fortunate to be involved in the in the in the first regular show that ESPN did on fantasy. That you know was Matthew Barry's first mm-hmm. hit and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, we we produced freestanding uh, uh, newsstand specials for fantasy. Right. I mean, it's something that that's been important to me for a long time because. To, to in my mind, right there, are, there are two things that drive fans into the daily conversation: team affinity and gaming. Um, I would say the NBA has kind of blurred that team affinity thing a little bit. I mean, if LeBron joined the Phoenix Suns, you know, this right. summer, 
the Phoenix Suns would go from a two and a half percent kind of of mind exactly. share to a forty right. percent mind right. share. Right. So the NBA is a little bit janky that way. But right. in general, right, we're driven by our allegiance to our teams, and we're we 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 love we love to to play games around them. Right. Um. And and you know, fantasy is something that has, by and large probably seen less iteration and kind of less broad innovation applied to it than virtually any other thing that we've done in mass um, in digital media over the last 25 years. The, the, there have been tremendous strides and investments made in terms of the back-end capabilities. I mean, the volumes of drafts, the hundreds of millions of transactions we can handle right now. We have an unbelievable um, you know, technological infrastructure but the experience itself has really not evolved seriously over right. the last 25 years. And I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about, right. you know, trying to, to, to push forward a couple, in, the, in, the, in the next few years. And likewise, until really the advent of DFS a few years ago, it was also a category that saw a fairly minimal amount of segmentation, meaning the hardest core player in the world did not necessarily throw significantly more LTV out to, to the publisher than a casual guy who was out by week four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, DFS was kind of the beginning of creating a more segmented approach to that marketplace. The possibility that, that you know, we will see some form of legalized sports betting in the U.S. over the course of the next couple of years. I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily agree with the idea of equating fantasy with betting. I think they're, you know, they're adjacent businesses. I don't think they're one and the same. But it is another example of a way that you'll, you'll get far deeper levels of segmentation in a fan base. So do you see, um, as trend lines go, where, where do you see daily fantasy? It seems like based on the numbers that have been reported that it's plateaued a little bit in terms of the fan base, at least in North America. What are you guys seeing? What are you What are you feeling about its future this year? Beyond? I mean, we we are a modest player in daily fantasy, but we 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 probably have the most profitable daily fantasy operation in the industry, as modest as our position is. In part because we we didn't um, you know we didn't go nuts in terms of 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 spending a whole lot of money to acquire folks right. off platform. Um, I mean, the reality about DFS is that nobody who's in the DFS business really wants to be in the DFS. DFS business, right? So, so that the, the space is in orbit right now, waiting for clarification around what might happen with betting. Um, the the I think that the products themselves have not fully matured in terms of really being fun to play. Um, you know, I think again, what what drives this? The, the 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 reality is that fantasy sports is less about about you know, how well my tight end did than it is an excuse for, for, for you and a former roommate, you and a former colleague, you and a family member to have something in common that you mm-hmm. can do on a regular basis. I'm in a, I'm in a fantasy league that's been basically intact for over 20 years with guys like Dick Glover and Mike Slade and Tom oh, Agopian, yeah. you know, yeah. and it gives us a reason to be in touch with each right. other 25 years after doing our first deal. So, you it's know, like quilting. It's exactly, exactly. It's a, it's a great big quilting bee. Um, and, and so, you know, the DFS stuff, you know, has always felt a little mercenary to me. And, and you know, we're working on some things to make it feel more social, to make it feel like it's something that, that's more of an experience than, than just that, that kind of detached thing. So, so touching on the gambling side really briefly before we move on to some of the other things we want to cover real quickly. Um, I guess the headline was a couple weeks ago where it said, Verizon looking at gamble, sports gambling. What does that mean, and how does that impact what you're doing? 
You're a, you're a good reader. You, I read every once. You, I just read headlines. I was going to say, just reads headlines. I had no idea what the story was, but it kind of looked good. Well, it was Bloomberg. It must be true. Um, Scott Soshnick. There we go. Exactly. Was it Soshnick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, sports sports betting has the potential to to send seismic waves through our through our industry. I mean, there isn't anything um, under discussion right now within the sports category that has a chance to to have a greater financial impact um, than 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 the potential of an at scale legalized sports betting play that would fully realize the capabilities of things like mobile technology and not necessarily limit that activity to, to brick and mortar locations. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it, as I would be irresponsible and derelict, right. If we weren't spending some amount of time kind of assessing how we think that could potentially play out and what role in that ecosystem we could be playing, um, is that role as a, as a top of the funnel generator for established players and, 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 and affording them the opportunity to reach our fans through advertisement? Is it, a, is it a content play? Is it a place where, where actual, you know, action takes place? I mean, are all, you know, are all potential ways of playing and, and we don't have, you know, we don't have a plan. We're in the midst of trying to figure out what this, what this would mean to us. Mm-hmm. So we're going to transition to our final couple of questions in a second, but I, I got to ask about emerging tech. Mm-hmm. So a big theme in the industry right now, is, and you hear this mostly from the leagues, we need to figure out ways to engage the young fan, Gen Z. We got to use emerging tech. We got to use augmented reality and virtual reality and better artificial intelligence, et cetera. Um, you're not a league, but you're essentially in the s- similar media business as the leagues how does that how would that work for you and is that something that you're thinking a lot about right now we're thinking about it a lot um i think that people get confused by i think people get confused by by what they're really trying to solve to there um a little bit and they they too quickly grab on to um kind of gimmicky um you know gimmicky means you know we need we need to be able to allow somebody to do a graphic overplay overlay on a dunk and make the basket explode or something like that and when that'll get the kids in um when i would argue that um a larger percentage of the conversation should be focused on really kind of understanding just the the, the beats and the rhythms of those fans lives and how you best optimize your your, your content for them I and mean, we think a lot about how to program Yahoo Sports with kind of a day part mentality to it, mm-hmm. right? Which is to say, I have an enormous amount of pride and we have unbelievable um, a group of journalists at Yahoo Sports. And Dan Wetzel, for example, just did as good a job, probably led the way on a lot of this Larry Nasser stuff over the course of that scandal. Mm-hmm. But let's also be realistic to say, we probably shouldn't be dropping a 5,000 word reported piece of enterprise journalism on fans at seven o'clock in the morning when, when you're trying to, you know, Get your, your your head together for work. Understand, you know, are you getting flamed in email? What's right. the what's what, what's the weather going to be like? Yeah. All the all the nonsense we do to get ready for work is not the time to show up. You know, I like to say I I I I, I love to have a big plate of ribs, right? But please don't bring them to me at eight o'clock in the morning, <laughs> right? right? So so how we optimize the different forms of content um, at different day parts, I think, mm-hmm. fits right into that conversation about how you serve different segments of fans. Mm-hmm. And, and there is an inordinate, there's an inordinate kind of instinct among um, traditional media companies to serve fans things that they want the fans to want, as mm-hmm. opposed to serving them in the way that the, that, that, that the fans are demanding. I think that's a really good point. When you think about 
the amount of art and science that was applied to day parting considerations mm-hmm. in the television business historically. Um, and you think about it with all the different sites that we visit, you get the sense that not too many people are thinking about that. I, I don't think it, I don't think they are. It's kind of random. I don't I don't think they are. And I think you know again, it's one of the places where I think we can be a leader. And I think you know, and again, to be clear, we will make smart guesses about how to do it, and then we will you know we will dig into the numbers, we'll dig into the analysis, and understand which of those pieces are are, are working and which and, and 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 which need to be retooled. The last question before we get to our last two questions, I guess that's kind of my opinion. Third to last question: the streaming business. Mm-hmm. Where is it today from your perspective? Where do you think the streaming, unbundling, bundling, live event business will be going? Um, and how do you kind of judge where it is now versus going forward? Um, boy, that's a loaded question because no, there's, a, there's, about, there's about 12 questions in yeah, there. that's kind um, of an essay question. I mean, first and foremost, again, I would argue that there isn't, there isn't the streaming business, right? There are a gazillion different permutations of streaming. All right, are we talking about taking... Are we talking about taking big common denominator events like Monday Night Football because there's going to be one business model that's appropriate for serving fans up for that? Are we talking about how, you know, how we can finally serve somebody who's passionate about high school lacrosse right. in Maryland, you know, with a with a with a product that works for them? So, first and foremost, let's disabuse ourselves of the notion that there is a streaming it's like business. Like talking about esports, it's it, not it, really it, the same thing. Exactly yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So, what the what the next 3 years is about, right, is is about you know, going through this kind of reconciliation game where we find the appropriate business model that kind of matches up. It's like a great big game of Clue, right? Instead of talking about rooms and murder weapons and, 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 uh, and, and, and killers, right? We're talking about what is that set of rights? What is, the, what is the best platform to deliver those rights on? And what is the best business model to attach to, 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 attach to them? And, and there will be, you know, a ton of learning over the course of the next couple of years as we kind of sort our way through that. Colonel Mustard's always the killer, by the way. Colonel Mustard's <laughs> always the... Okay. All right. I got to ask one more. Here we go. One more quick one. It's because it's our 100th Maurice. anniversary. We can yeah, yeah. This is unbelievable. Really. Um, so historically, Yahoo Sports has not been that big in social media. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Um, but we've seen that as an increasingly important environment for the consumption of sports mm-hmm. content, especially for young people. Is that something you're thinking about or uh, worried about? We're not thinking about it. We're doing something about okay. it. I mean, okay. Yahoo, um, you know, Yahoo is probably slow to kind of divest itself from the notion of the power of its of its kind of right. walled the garden pole. portal. Yeah. Right. Um, and it meant that. And these are these are numbers that that anybody. Um, Anybody who obviously, if you're still listening, you have some spare time on your hands. So, so you know, these are these are numbers that are train ride. that are readily available, right? right? We we fell significantly behind some of our key competitors in terms of our reach across key social platforms: right. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, right. and and it is something that we're working on both in terms of bringing bringing some new talent into the organization, in terms of how we work with people, um, at, like the board of advisors, and 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 you know to be able to drive more activity in those handles, right? Because we're we're not at any place I would consider remotely acceptable there. All right, so let's wrap up with our two standardized questions. I'll ask the first joke and sure. ask the second. The sure. first one is, and um, I've always enjoyed the conversations I've had with you through the years. You're very thoughtful guy, you, you, a big thinker and all that. So I'm curious, and everybody's curious to hear, how do you stay smart? What do you read? What are you following? What are you listening to to keep up with everything? Um, 
you you listen to everybody, right? I mean, you're joking to me that I talk too much, and I probably do, but you... you everybody does. You But you start with just asking a bunch right. of questions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I was just at the NBA All-Star Game, and, and I must have bumped into 30 people. And, and the first question I'm asking everybody is, what are you working on? What are you thinking about? What are you doing? And you're you're trying to get an understanding of, of what they're working on, what the way they're approaching problems. Are there opportunities for you to maybe be doing something together? Um, I mean, you it's a it's a bit of a cliche, but you have to be an omnivore between traditional sources and and non traditional sources because I mean, uh, I one of the one of the real joys of my life is in a couple of weeks I get to go spend a few days with my son who will be on his college baseball trip. Mm-hmm. And I will sit with 20 of his teammates and I'll ask them, where do you guys get fantasy sports information? What do you listen to? Who do right. you like? Right. I mean, everywhere you go, you're asking people, where did you watch this? What did you think mm-hmm. about that? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, a never ending focus group. <laughs> no, you, you, you have to because, yeah. I mean, you, you, you have to early in your career or I don't know if you guys experience this. Right. You, you I, I, so I can only speak for myself. You you. Put an undue burden on yourself to be the guy who thinks of stuff and creates stuff. And I think as you get a little bit more experience and you get a little bit more seasoned, you're you're actually it's easier to shift to I'm trying to identify good outcomes for my audience. And it's less about my authorship than it is being able to identify things that are going to work for those guys. And I'm simply not smart or creative enough and don't have enough hours in the day to be the guy who kind of comes down from the mountaintop. Yep. With, with with an unending stream of brilliance. Mm-hmm. So so if you're going to be really driven by that idea of serving your audience, and that's that's what we are, right? At at, at Yahoo's point, oath, we all have these three word oaths, right? And and my oath is the same as our team's, which is that fans come first. And it means you're constantly working to find things that make fans experience better. Mm-hmm. And to do that you 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 have to you have to just be out there. Are you a podcast listener? I am not to a, I, I'm a little ADD for it. Okay. So I, I probably, you can always do it at double the speed, you know. <laughs> I have listened. You no, know, I've listened to the first fifteen minutes of a bunch, and right. and there's some things. I mean, I I really enjoy you know uh, when uh, when Mark Marin like has a mm-hmm. guest. He mm-hmm. he can be amazing. I'm, mm-hmm. I still listen to to uh, things like Men in Blazers. I'll listen to some of the political stuff. What Axelrod and, right. and Favreau are doing is right. is is great. Right. Um, when Terry Gross. Has 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 somebody a way more interesting guest than me, right? right that right. so those are those are all things that I love to kind of jump into. Okay. And then, and then Jeff, last, where what advice do you give to people, either starting out, reinventing their career somewhere along the way, when people come to you and say, you know, what are some of the things that that you would like to impart on people? Because we have a lot of students who listen to this. I think I think there are a couple of things. One is um, don't get overly enamored with how glitzy the the, the, the name of the business is over yep. the door. Um, your your first responsibility. I mean, when I went to go work for Spy, I thought it was cool because I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. So it was a passion point. But Tom Phillips gave me an opportunity there to to touch four or five different parts of the mm-hmm. business, and then I ultimately started specializing. So you know that speaks to a couple different things, right? One is is you know, connect someplace where you're just going to have an enormous amount of passion. I, I grew up, you know, wanting to be a sports writer. I grew up feeling like the back of the baseball card was the was the really interesting part. And and being able to be in this industry has has been the most unbelievable, you know, privilege. And, and I consider myself, you know, to be unbelievably fortunate to do that. So, you know, connect with a passion. Don't don't get swayed by some name of the door, right? The range of experiences, particularly early in your career, you're going to get exposed to. 
And then I think the third thing is within that range of experiences, start to hone in on something that you can just be great at. Um, it's really easy to drift into trying to be good at a bunch of different stuff. But, you know, by and large, um, folks like me are looking for somebody who's world class at something, not good at a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. So expose yourself to a bunch of things early on, but but start to, to really lean into something and get great at it. Outstanding advice. Thank you. Um, before we say goodbye, uh -oh. what would you like? No, no, this is not, not. This is not a substance question. This is just a promo, I get to pick a promo question. What 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 should our listeners do uh, if they want to check out all your stuff? They should go to the app store and they should okay. download so first Yahoo and foremost, Sports. Get the app. Yahoo get the Sports. app. Get Yahoo Sports. Get Yahoo Fantasy. Um, okay. I mean, it's gonna, which is a separate it, app. They're separate apps. Yeah. It's tournament time. Play an NCAA bracket and, and game. Time play to do your baseball, baseball drafts. So it's right? time to play fantasy baseball. Um, and, and, and download our app. Yeah. You and want to promote uh, the social and let us quickly? know what you think. Anything. Um, is it all just Yahoo sports? It's Yahoo app? sports, NBA, right. Yahoo sports, Yahoo sports, NFL. Look at our guys, look at Shams, look at them, look at Passon. Uh, we got some good guys. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for your time, guys. Congratulations. Uh, Joe, yeah, I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for being the special guest for the special I'm, so, I'm sorry the guy you wanted canceled, but <laughs> no. I appreciate it. No, Actually, no, there were five. This was fantastic. And we're sitting here tipping our green tea. Yeah, so, so cheers. Uh, here's yeah. to 100 episodes, yep. guys. And a special thank you to Maurice Eisenman, too, who's been with us um, most of the way. Yeah. And we should say uh, thank you to He's James Kell. He's our boy Gary. To now so, perform group, and James was our first producer. So he did, I don't know, 40 or 45 mm -hmm. episodes. But it seems like we've been with you forever, Maurice. So thank you very much. Um, so thank you, everybody from Oath, uh, especially Jeff. It was really a fun conversation. We wish you luck in the 2018 uh, baseball season and all the with all the new activities you have with, with streaming and fantasy and, and everything. It's, you're, it's, it's a great story. Um, so appreciate it. Joe, as usual, lots of fun. Onward. Onward. And next week we'll report about Sloan, I guess. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. So, so some of us will be going to Sloan this weekend in Boston, and we'll, we'll have a little uh, wrap-up next week, I guess, mm -hmm. with some, yep. some guests. So thanks, everybody, for listening to The Cusp Show. This has been a conversation with Jeff Reese, who's the general manager of Yahoo Sports, which is part of Oath. So check them out, uh, all their apps and their social accounts, and uh, see all the good things we're doing in this business. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and the host is Joe Fabrito. My production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore S. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.